Have you ever heard the expression love at first sight? I think that many of the players are making up their mind about who they want to work with in the first 60 seconds. The Diplomacy Dojo is a weekly discussion led by your board brother about diplomacy tactics and strategies. Let's listen in on what our players are discussing this week. My main focus now, because I think I've got the tactics and strategy more or less on on, on a good point. As I said, my main struggle is the diplomacy one. How do I make consistently people want to walk with me? Because what I find fun is that when they don't walk with me, whatever, whatever sphere I am, whatever, we'll give enough time to the other to the other side of the board to to win their side, and then they will come to us. And almost it happens almost every time. So I was like, okay, if I manage to convince people to walk with me, then it will probably be our side winning and not the other way around. My main experience is from, is from virtual face-to-face, and most of the time I'm on the, on the defense, usually. I think that the broadest possible advice I can give for making friends early on a diplomacy board is to try to form a genuine connection with the other player. And sometimes that I, I realize that that's easier said than done. That's a, that's a, that's a simple idea, but uh, I think that's, I think that's the heart of it. That if there's something you can find that you both have in common, it's, I'm not, it could be about diplomacy. It could be about something else. And it doesn't have to be, I don't, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not trying to say something silly, like, Oh, we both like, the same sports team or something like that. I mean, that, that'll, that might do it, but it could be anything. If the connection between you and this other player seems genuine, then they it will seem genuine because it is genuine. Then it's possible for the other things to come into place to make a friendly alliance. And the reason why I think that many players look for a genuine connection at the beginning of the game is they have to have something to go on. They have to have something to go on to decide who they should be trusting early or who they want to work with or who they could see themselves working for the next couple of years. And even if they're not consciously looking for that kind of connection, uh, if one exists, then the other things that they are consciously looking for may be easier to figure out. I was playing a diplomacy game where I was England and was trying to figure out who my ally might be early. And as you may know, I have a, I'm pretty skeptical of allying with France early on. However, uh, when the match started and I started talking to the French player, I discovered that we were both acting kind of goofy and possibly had started the match after having had a few drinks. And we were both laughing and we, I guess we'd had some drinks and we said, you know, let's just go crazy. Let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. England, France, Alliance, let's go. And uh, we hosed Germany and uh, Germany was baited to play in such a way that Germany never even got one build. And it was a great start. And we ended up in a three-way draw with Turkey down the road. It was a very memorable match. And I think it's worth noting that I was able to get that ally right away and we played uh, together for a long, long time, just based on something so simple as it seemed like we were in the same mood when the match started and we were able to form that connection and start trusting each other and take a big risk right at the start. And this other player 
was also very good. I'm not, this was, this was a high level match. I don't mean it was to, this is not some random, uh, random player. I'm giving that as an example of what I consider to be a broader phenomenon, which is that if you've got something, some genuine connection, what I'm calling a genuine connection to the other player, then it's possible for the other thing to figure out the other things. And so, um, in a diplomacy match, when things start off, you can feel a big sense of urgency that you've got to figure out what your moves are going to be and who's going to get Belgium and all that stuff. And, and if you, that's all very important to be sure. And you do have to figure those things out. But it is possible to focus too much on the game itself, the, like the pieces and the board, and not get that connection that you need with at least one other player who you can work with. And so then lo and behold, other players, they're really interested in working together and they play the game out and you end up on the back foot because nobody was particularly interested in starting off the match as your ally. And then once they started attacking you, it was pretty hard to change things around. I guess this works better in press because in virtual face-to-face, you have like 15 minutes to talk with everyone each turn. Even, I'm, I'm telling you, it, can, it only can take a few minutes to form this connection. Have you ever heard the expression love at first sight? Yeah. I think that many of the players, sometimes consciously and sometimes unconsciously, are making up their mind about who they want to work with in the first 60 seconds. Based on how you spoke to them, based on how you seem, based on just whatever minimal things they can get. And then they start figuring out how they're going to move their pieces and stuff like that. And that if you make the right connection early on, it can go, I'll give, I'll give another example. So a lot of diplomacy players work in the legal profession. And so do I. Uh, Sometimes I can figure this out very quickly that the other player is in the same profession that I am based on how they speak or, or whatever, some terms they use right away. And uh, that can be a great genuine connection to form, to say, hey, you know, we work in the same profession. Isn't that funny? Ha, ha, ha. Yeah, it is. Let's work together. Okay. 60 seconds. It's just something, something. Hey, I understand this person a little bit. And it may seem silly. Like, why would someone care about what your job is when playing a diplomacy match or deciding who to ally? And it shouldn't really matter, not in the technical sense, but it's the fact that you tried and did form a genuine connection over something goes a long way in putting a foundation down that the relationship can be built on. That way, hey, we had something. You seem like you really do want to work with me because you made the effort to talk about something that formed a personal connection. I guess it's more of a practice problem than a theoretical one, I guess. I mean, I had those moments. I remember one guy, it went horribly, but... At least the start of it, I remember I was France. I talked to England. I was like, oh, okay, and it seems a bit like, I don't know, he doesn't know what he does, what he's going to do, kind of aloof. And then I talked with Germany. The talk was really positive, and I was like, okay, uh, go I talk with England, like have your stuff. In the end of the turn, we're like, yeah, let's ally let's each other. <laughs> and then we went on to be, and then we played together for the entire game, but. Because of other game factors, we were pretty much squashed. But uh, yeah, if not for that, it'd probably be dominating on the board. So I understand, I can get what you're saying about this love at first sight stuff. Okay. Like I can see it happening. 
this what first comes to my mind. If you're talking about, it seems, if, you, if I understand right, your situation is that the other players seem to find their allies, serious allies, faster than you do. And this leads you to have difficult matches when you're playing virtual face-to-face. Yeah, usually, yes. And so I think that I, I agree with your assessment that it's a matter of practice. Since you do understand what you're trying to do, you understand the problem, where the problem lies, and what you can improve on. So that's, I mean, I guess I'd have to play some matches with you to, to be able to say something more specific. For me personally, something that, um, where I don't want to ally with somebody is when our early conversations involve the other player uh, having really strict and specific tactical demands that are very favorable to them. If they start talking to me like that right at the start, it's over. I start scheming on how to ally with somebody else and just make that happen. I'll give an example. In a match where I was playing as Germany, the English player said uh, flat out that they were going to open to uh, Norwegian Sea and North Sea right at the start. And there was pretty much uh, nothing I could do to persuade them to do otherwise. And they didn't say it in those words, but that was my interpretation of what they were saying. And I thought, all right, so if you made up your mind on what your moves are going to be, and they're very unfavorable to me, and your idea of how to become my ally is just to tell me what you're doing and I can take it or leave it, forget this. So I started, I spent a huge amount of effort working with France and Russia to set up a sea line and that player was crushed, absolutely crushed. And they probably didn't perceive like, did I really lose the match because I told Germany right away that I wasn't going to move to English Channel? And I would say yes. I would say that that was the mistake. Yes. In the first five minutes of the match, when you said that's what you were going to do and you really didn't want to hear otherwise, that was a fatal mistake because you you were up against me. You were up against Brotherboard. <laughs> and if I, if I decided that you're my enemy that early, I can work very hard to make sure that I have some, some other players who are also your enemy and pulled it off. So there are some things that you could do that might really alienate a player early on, but that's, that's hard to know unless you've played with them before uh, what, what, they would, what they might not want to hear. Uh, but because I don't like that, I rarely open up with hard convictions about what my opening moves are supposed to be. Or even if I feel that way, I don't say it. So like, let's say that I'm Turkey and I'm trying to figure out, you know, what's my opening going to be. And usually I'm going to open to Black Sea, but I'm not 100% sure that I'm going to do it. Instead of saying like, I think we need to bounce in Black Sea is my first thing I say to Russia. I start by saying, you know, hey Russia, how's it going? Are you how how how's how are you, how are you feeling this match? What do you want? To, what would you like to do? And they say, oh, you know, I, I'm feeling pretty good. I I'm interested in working with you. Hey, is that so? I usually I love I love a good juggernaut. How do you think that you know we should start off? If we're really going to do it. What do you think we should do? Oh well, we should definitely uh, get your fleet uh, away from Black Sea as fast as possible. Okay, you know, I I can see that. What can you do for me? And I'm willing, I'm willing to open uh, to Constantinople instead of to Black Sea. I can do that. What would you do for me in return? Well, um, I don't know. What are you asking for? Well, if you open to Galicia, especially if you can sneak your way to Galicia in spring 1901, I'm yours. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll play. I'll, be, I'll put on the wedding ring. I'll marry myself to you, Russia. If you can sneak your way into Galicia and I open my fleet to Constantinople, I'll determine that we're playing juggernaut and just see how that goes. 
wow, okay, that's great. I love hearing that. I'll try to make that happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, great. Well, that that imaginary conversation took all of 45 seconds. There's a 45 second or less conversation that we could have real fast where I, in, in this imaginary conversation, I'm letting things play out and sort of feeling out what the other player is going to say. And uh, rather than coming at them with hard declarations of what I want them to do, I wait until they try to tell me what to do, and then I ask them to do it for me in return. So instead of demanding that Russia open to Galicia, instead I say, well, you know, since you're asking me to make a move, what I would like you to do is open to Galicia. So then I'm not making a demand. I'm offering something quid pro quo. And I do that. I do that often in the beginning because I don't like it (laughs) when players make demands of me early on. And so maybe that works on some people, right? Some people think when they're starting off the match with me, hey, brother board isn't just requiring me to do something in return for alliance where it was negotiated. It was, it was something for something. We have, we have an arrangement here. I'll add to that and say that I, I have a distaste where it almost is like a negative, negative persuasion on me, anti-persuasion, when someone tries to get me to do a specific tactical move in return for a vague, I'll be your friend, I will be your ally, I'll be your best friend kind of promise. That is, I consider that such low value as to almost be offensive that someone is asking this of me or that I have to act a certain way in order to get their alliance. I could understand if I had backstabbed them earlier or I was attacking them and they want to see me do something before uh, working with me. But in the opening terms, right, we're in spring 1901 and they're like, I want to see you do this before I'm willing to work with you. Like, what gravy. The game just started. So if your mentality is that I have to make a certain opening in order to work with you, uh, and you're saying that right off the bat, I don't see myself working with you. Um, that's that you've got such a prejudice against me or, or the power I'm playing or something uh, that you don't have an open mind. And I, I don't think we're going to be able to work things out. Good gravy. I'll give an example. A lot of French players will declare that uh, they'll never uh, work with you as England if you open to English Channel, that like, we're enemies. You better not open to English Channel. Uh, if you do that, like, okay, great. That's a great thing to hear. Right off the bat, all you're, all you're talking about is what I can do for you and that I better do it or you're going to attack me. You know, no thanks. That sounds crazy because like I actually played England-France alliances plenty of times that involve one of those powers opening to English Channel right off the bat or they figure it out later on. It's definitely not somehow required for the English Channel to be a DMZ in spring 1901 for there to be an England-France alliance. And saying that right off the bat, ooh, repels me. Repels me, makes me think like, what other situations are we going to encounter where you are trying to work with me, but you refuse to do anything other than what you consider to be uh, the most tactically advantageous? That's not an ally that I want, right? I want an ally who's willing to take some risks, trust me, consider different things. And so because that's who I look for in an ally, I make similar statements. So when I'm France, I say things like, hey, England, hello, chum. I'm, I, you know, I'm really hoping that we have a chance to work together this match. I'm going to tell you right now, uh, I don't care whether you open English Channel or not. I will not be opening to English Channel. Even if you flat out tell me that you're moving to English Channel, even if Germany and Russia and everyone tells me you're moving to English Channel, I will not be moving to English Channel. I'm not doing it. I'm moving to Mid-Atlantic Ocean. English channels is yours if you want it. Uh, obviously, I think, you know, for me, it would be better if you didn't. But I understand if you do, and uh, good luck. And the English player hears something like that as the opening. What? <laughs> wow, maybe this French player is 
kind of cool. Um, the idea that uh, I might not try to claw them apart if they open the English channel. So maybe they make that opening, but we still end up working together. Or maybe they're so impressed by my, I don't know, my generosity, I guess, that uh, they decide they should work with me and not open to English channel. So I'm, I'm giving these two contrary scenarios, right? Where you could be France and just start threatening England to not move in the English channel, or you could be France and tell them you don't care. It's their piece. They do what they want with it. The thing that you not told me about France, in that English match in the beginning, that was what France basically told me. Not in these exact words, but he was like, yeah, I'm not going to open to the English channel. Like you can, you can open there, but then you will like put uh, Germany in the, in the steering wheel in a way. That's more or less what he told me. Because I, I played with the German player two times before. I knew that he's kind of unreliable. So I was heading into this match. Like, I don't know how, how I would react to it if the German one was also a viable ally, in my eyes. That's it. That is an interesting story that the French player offered something similar in the beginning. It made, you, it made you want to work with the French, didn't it? It just, as I told you, I was, my mind was in a way pre-made when I saw the board. I wanted to be, to show him that I, that I trust him, so I'm open the most French-friendly way I could. And he trusted me in return. Like we had the, the first two, three years were very trust. Like we trusted each other with hard moves up until, up until I stopped them. I find myself, I often play France and I often get, uh, get, uh, get EG'd in the beginning. So I, I think I will start implementing some, some stuff like this and offering Belgium to England or Germany as a, as a token of friendship and alliance. Yeah, I think that's a great way to start off as France, especially since in France, with France, usually Portugal and Spain are a given. I mean, not 100% of the time, but usually. That means you can afford to be generous with Belgium. Brotherboard, do you have any other like red flags or conversely, like really good things that you hear or do in opening messages? For me, I want to see that someone's paying attention to me, whether that means that they're talking to me right away or they are coming back to circle back to talk with me about more things but that the conversation is developing based on what we're learning from the other players uh, that goes a long way with me because most players in diplomacy will not spend that kind of attention on someone they plan to dispose of right away whereas if someone uh, only has very minimal things to say to me I think maybe maybe they got other things to do but but maybe they're not wasting their time developing a relationship with me because they think that they're going to be able to eliminate me and it won't matter that we don't have a good relationship. So uh, the attentiveness is a big factor. Like, you know, you know, if we're playing virtual face-to-face, uh, I'm not, and I'm England, I'm not going to worry too much about Italy or Austria or Turkey or somebody, you know, like they're not spending a lot of time talking. Yeah, they, got, they, they have genuinely more important interests than what England is up to. But if I'm England and like, Germany isn't really have a lot to say to me that they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. Sure. Sure. Mate. You can have Belgium. And then that's all I really hear. Like what, well, under what circumstances, is it my fleet or my army? You agreed that I should have Belgium. What are the implications of this? And they don't, it's just like, okay. I start thinking this person's just telling me what they think I want to hear to mollify me so that I don't attack them right away, but they're planning on doing something else. That's what I infer from when someone gives me minimal attention especially when I try to keep the conversation going 
and they are not interested. That's not something that would make me uh, permanently not want to be their ally. But usually, like I got, if I'm going to attack somebody, it's the player who um, seems like they're going to attack me. <laughs> I also think that when uh, not everybody can pull this off, but if you can do something to be funny or animated or even like a little melodramatic, as long as it's not mean, I think that can charm some players. So like if you're on a video and you're talking to somebody who is just kind of staring into space or they're monotone, uh, maybe that's just how they are and you really shouldn't read a lot into it. But it can be kind of challenging to get a sense of what this person's what this person's thinking or what they're trying to accomplish. Whereas if you're uh, on the camera and you're a little goofy and you're smiling and saying, "Hey, what's up?" and you maybe like do something, ah, you know, maybe there's a, there's a, there's a line you can cross where it goes from from charming to annoying or creepy. I realize that doesn't always work, uh, but showing that you're that you're lively and you care and you're trying to have fun early on that can make some that can cause somebody to flip the switch and they go hey you know trying to make up my mind about whether to attack austria or turkey and you know the turkish player they just seem like they're having fun they seem like they're having fun and you know what i'd like to have fun too so i'm going to attack austria who's really boring and monotone a person's not going to have a conscious logic that's like this where they say hmm i decide to attack austria because austria's boring and monotone and turkey seems like they're having a lot of fun but that unconscious thinking will creep into their other decision-making. They'll feel like they can trust Turkey and they can't trust Austria because Turkey, they feel good when they're talking to Turkey and they feel uncertain when they're talking to Austria. But really what it amounts to is they just like one person's presentation more than the other. I had a game and I was Russia. I went into this game with, I wanted to try a German-Russian alliance I didn't want to crush Turkey. I didn't want to touch Turkey. That was my thought sending inside. But I had a really, really positive chat with Turkey, and I was like, yeah, I think we can walk. It seemed like we are on the same page, and the talks with Germany went really well, but they decided that they want to do a C-line with France. So I got Edinburgh down the line. But like, the first three turns, like... The entirety of 1901 and the spring turn of 1902 were all good. And then and then Turkey just turned on me and, and marched on me with, with Austria. And I was like, come on, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I allied with Turkey with just just from our well, we talked a lot and he was really, really positive. Um, in hindsight, like in hindsight, I understood that he was drunk, really drunk, and uh, yeah, <laughs> and this eight, this eight, and he knew the Austrian player. They played a few times, like they knew each other for I don't know how long. Oh man, if I'm playing with somebody who I've played with before, if I if they're my neighbor and I've played with them before, I think very quickly we figure out that there's going to be either either a showdown because we have to destroy each other immediately. <laughs> or we have trust in each other right off the bat and we play a like an ex- extremely good, like as if you're one giant power kind of alliance, but one or the other, I think, uh, in my experience of having played with people multiple times. I didn't know about that. I didn't know that they knew each other. So I, if I knew, I'd probably maybe have played it differently, though I'm not sure. Um, yeah, but I was not aware of that. When you say this, like, like 
if people know that you know each other and you know that when you are on the same side of the board that you ally, you will be just targeted by everyone else on the on that board. Like you will be immediately trying to like they they wouldn't trust you not to ally with that player. That's a reasonable um, <laughs> a reasonable presumption, in my opinion. When I played in the 2019 online diplomacy championship, which lasted well into 2020, uh, yeah, that that was a more than one year long tournament. Uh, but the the eventual champion, uh, I learned something from this player. I focused on trying to get basically make my chances of getting into each next round as high as possible. Whereas this other player, once he was confident that he was going to make it into the next round, put effort into getting good scores for allies that he had, anticipating that the the final board would be stacked with players that he knew he could work with. That was incredible. Like, that's just incredible. I learned something. I made it to the final round, but I got knocked out. And that's what I, I realized I would need to learn how to do to take my, my own game to the next level in a tournament like that. That, okay, wow, that I should be thinking about who is going to be on the final board and see if there's something I can do to influence that eventual situation. This stuff, like what you talked about, like basically sucking the board, the final board in your favor, Kind of happened in the last virtual face-to-face tournament. It was the Summer Classic. Basically, there was there were five rounds in this tournament, and the top seven after those five rounds would uh, compete in a top board, and the winner of that board will be the champion. So, in one of those rounds, two players played it to uh, to a two-way draw, 17-17 split. It was Germany and Italy. So they both guaranteed themselves the top board. They got fourth, fourth and fifth, something like this. And another couple have done it as well. They played together to ensure, like even though they weren't like neighbors in that game, but they ensured that they would get both enough, uh, good enough scores so they both be in the, in the final board. It was not done by one player, it was done by multiple, but uh, yes. And, and in that final board, the Italian player... They played the GR basically. Those who do, those who did the two-way draw, they played the GR, and then in the in the end, the Russian player won, won the game. And it was really close, like almost all the match. So I think the the lesson to draw here, as far as how to how to hit the ground running with alliances in the start, is that if you have any say in who's going to be in the match, which normally uh, in most circumstances that'd be kind of unusual. Or it sounds even a little weird. But in a tournament setting, you sometimes do. In a tournament setting, you do have the ability to influence who's going to be in the match. And so if you can exercise that influence to improve the chances of the next match you play, having players in it that you know you could work with, so much the better for you. That's, that's a smart strategy. I think most of it comes down to practice. There's this thing you told me that if you want to break one, if you want to break an alliance, you, you want to make somebody really big and the other one not so big mm-hmm. so there would be a stub um, so I had a game in which I was again I was France gone on by England and Germany and I was like okay I would just die if I continue doing this I, I defended but it will be like in two years I'll be probably gone so like I, okay I, I came to Germany because I thought that because of the position of the open that 
I will make sure that England will not take a single dot off of me, and I will let him take Paris and and, and Marseille, and in turn, and then we've, and then I will disband two armies. So I would have I would have my two fleets, and if he builds another fleet, we will have more fleets than England, and then we can overpower England basically. Um, and he agreed to it. Um, I did my part to this part. Um, it didn't. It could have worked if the eastern side was more more chaotic, but if but because it wasn't, uh, we can't. They they came too quickly to our side, but it, it made him turn on England. Basically, that was important for me that he turned on England and not continue to to try and kill me. I think that's a, an excellent. The, the war, your war story is a good demonstration of that strategy of trying to focus on just defending against one player in the alliance and get the other to turn on your side. I think we can also draw a larger inference, which is the opening turn in the first year or two are not everything. They're not everything. Although it is good to start off better than to start off on the back foot, plenty of players uh, end up having successful games, even uh, you know, difficult tournament games and so on, uh, where they started off on the back foot and they were able to turn things around. And in that situation of where you, where you are defending yourself really, I think it's even more important that you come across as a player who is likable uh, or charming, that players might want to work with, that you don't bear grudges. If you come across that way, and meanwhile, the other players who started off strong are squabbling or they're frustrated with each other or someone's making demands, that may down the road, it may pay off as they decide to switch sides. And gosh, you know, so-and-so has been so nice. Even as I was attacking, maybe that's the player I should be working with. I made a mistake. My ally is greedy, etc. I've recovered from some very bad positions in press diplomacy. In gunboat, that's pretty hard. <laughs> but in press diplomacy, I've recovered from some very bad positions where players had something better to do than to finish me off. Yeah, you've done this in the media war. Oh, yeah, that's right. In Media Wars, gosh, well, like in 1903 or something, I thought I was toast. And I ended up uh, being the only player to attempt a solo win in the end. So, yeah, that's right. Or in the, uh, in the final, uh, referring back to the 2019 ODC, in that final round, uh, I was attacked right away as Turkey by an Italy-Austria-Russia alliance and was brought down to two centers before they started stabbing each other. And I eventually recovered uh, from a, just an unbelievably bad position. Ultimately, I was eliminated. Uh, and so I didn't have a good result in that match. But I think I came very close. Uh, after I recovered and I reached, I want to say, five centers, I think I only needed one more year to get into a almost impregnable position. And, of course, that's why I was backstabbed by my ally <laughs> before that happened. But I felt pretty good, uh, at least at that time, that, hey, you know, uh, I even though I was at two centers not that long ago, maybe I'll be the player who solo wins this thing. I, it was not out of the question for me uh, at that point in the match. And, uh, and maybe that's a story that you can tell with Turkey a little more easily than some other powers. <laughs> with impressed diplomacy, where you can coordinate interesting and complicated moves and make little deals where you help somebody out and trust each other, a weak position is a, is a lot more recoverable you can find a way to make yourself useful to somebody. This episode was made possible by the generous support of people like you. For more information, visit patreon.com slash brotherboard.
You can learn more from your board brother at brotherboard.com. If you enjoyed this episode, remember to subscribe, share, and review. Thanks to Loyalty Freak Music for the theme music, It Feels Good to Be Alive too.